This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey there, this is Casey Finey, host of Creative Control. We're taking a little break right now while we work on the next season of the podcast, but we'll be back soon with new conversations and stories about what's changing in the creator economy. So in the meantime, I want to revisit this throwback episode with Emma Chamberlain, where she explains why she took a step back from social media and the challenges of growing her coffee business. Emma Chamberlain started posting on YouTube back in 2017 when she was a sophomore in high school and understandably needed some kind of hobby to keep her preoccupied. Forward five years later, and Emma now has more than 11 million YouTube subscribers. Part of what's made Emma so popular is her comedic timing and, to be very honest, the chaotic way she edits her videos. Her style of comedy and editing has been emulated so frequently that she's been declared as one of the most influential and important YouTubers in recent years. But Emma made the decision to step away from YouTube for a while. She's been very open and honest about experiencing burnout and how her love of YouTube as a hobby became more of a chore. Emma's been redirecting her passion toward her podcast, Anything Goes, and toward her company, Chamberlain Coffee. I really wanted to talk to Emma to see how she's been redefining her relationship with YouTube and how she's building her coffee empire to be more than what you'd expect from an influencer. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. All right, Emma Chamberlain, hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I am good. How We've are you? We've had this whole exchange, but you know what? I want to have this one on the record. I'm well. <laughs> I know. There we, we go. <laughs> we were literally just joking around about how when somebody's like, how are you? It's like, you don't want to know. You don't want me to get into it. We'll be here all Listen, day. But here's the thing. Here's a funny thing. I remember I when I used to work in coffee shops, actually, um, like I when people come in and ask, you know, how are you? It's almost like a form of hello. Like they don't really mean it as a question that it is. And I would just like launch into, well, you know, my back hurts a little bit and I'm just, you know, I've been <laughs> doing this shift for like way too long. So how are you? I would like be honest. And I people would actually have an appreciation for that. Like they would actually stop and listen to me ramble about my day. So I'm normalized not being normal. <laughs> okay. So. I love that because like, I mean, it's just so much more charming and it's true. Like when I say it's I'm good, true. half the time it's like, it's just routine answer. But if you actually answer, it's kind of special. I feel like we all need to start doing that more. So listen, you and I will start this campaign and, you know, yes. add it to, I don't want to add anything to your to-do list because, you know, you got a lot going on. <laughs> listen, I'll make time for this. I appreciate that. I mean, I want to start by asking, what are you drinking today? What's the vibe? Because I know it, it, your vibe depends on like, you know, are you drinking a coffee? Are you drinking tea? What, what, what's, what's the mood? What's the move today? So actually, this is really perfectly timed because this morning, at eight in the morning, I tried a bunch of samples of a <laughs> oh, bunch God. of different new potential Chamberlain coffee products. And I won't say what they are quite yet, but I will say that I tried about 15 different drinks and my stomach felt so bad because <laughs> you just shouldn't be mixing and matching like that. And so I was like, you know what? 
maybe if I drink a huge cold brew, that will make me feel better. So far, so bad. Emma, I'm not following that logic at all. I am so sorry, but that that is pouring gasoline on top of gasoline on a ready, on an already raging fire. I'm not. I thought I you were about know. to say a giant glass of water. Like no. <laughs> No, like that's the problem. Okay, I will say a little spoiler. The samples weren't coffee. They were still caffeinated, but not coffee. And so I was like, oh, maybe I just feel like a little nasty because I haven't had my coffee yet. Maybe if I have that, I'll feel amazing. Nah, dog. No. No. So I will be hydrating at some point today, but it's a cold brew day along with 15 different miscellaneous samples. <laughs> you say your stomach, your poor heart. My God, like, that's a lot of caffeine. I, know. I don't know how I'm like, you know, fully functioning, but here we are. And I appreciate that you are here. And I want to really, because I mean, really, this all begins with your YouTube channel that you started back in what, 2015, 2016. Back then, it wasn't. Being a YouTube creator or just, you know, content creator in general, it wasn't this mystifying career option. I mean, plenty of YouTubers are making full-time livings from just YouTube itself or spending their YouTube presence into other careers. And so when you started doing YouTube, what did you want for yourself back then? Like, what was your end game? So for me, it was really interesting because, I mean, I really just needed a hobby. For me, it was... One of those things where I wasn't really looking into the future when I started. I wasn't thinking about what it could turn into. And to be honest, I just literally did not believe it was possible to succeed on it. So for me, it was just a fun thing to, you know, give me something to work on because I was in high school and I was just not a happy camper. And so I needed a hobby. And so it was literally just supposed to be a hobby for maybe a summer. You know, I was like, Hmm. maybe I'll do this for for the summer, have fun with it, maybe grow a tiny little community that I can just have, you know, like, why not? Um, And that was all it was ever supposed to be. Then what happens when a hobby goes viral? Because your first viral video is your dollar store haul. It's so great. Like, I just like the stuff that I got, you're going to be un, you're going to be, your mind is going to be blown. I got like something like 12 things. Guess how much money I paid? $12. Cause like each thing is a dollar, you know, makes sense. Right. I went in there, had the time of my life. Customer service was impeccable. I'm just not going to talk anymore. I'm just going to show you. And hopefully this will inspire you to take a trip to the dollar store so that you can change your own life and really give it the credit it deserves. And so if you were just sort of doing it just as a hobby and something fun to do, what happens when you blow up? (laughs) Uh, You need to find more hobbies because (laughs) your hobby is no longer a hobby anymore. So you're going to need to start shopping for your next hobby and hope that that one, you know, remains a hobby. (laughs) No, not that turning your hobby into a job is like one of the most amazing things ever, but it's also one of the most challenging things ever because inevitably when something that was just for pleasure turns into something that makes you an income in some way, Mm. it definitely changes its identity in your mind. You know, it's, it's not the same anymore, whether, and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. It has weight to it, right? Like normally hobbies are just lighthearted. There's no consequences. It's just something you do for fun. And, you know, it, it doesn't affect your life really, except for just being something to play around with. Mm. But once you start making money from it, which on the internet is going viral in some way, it starts to become 
a job in a way, but it's also very exciting because it's reassuring. It's reassuring that you're actually good at your hobby. Hmm. And so that's, that's a really cool feeling. But then at the same time, it's like, oh my God, but now I have to like keep being good. I get, I have to keep being good at it. And this is not just like a fun little thing anymore. People are taking it seriously. And so now I need to take it even more seriously. And there's a lot of, it's a very bittersweet kind of situation that you find yourself in. Yeah. And I love how honest you've been about that, and not only in interviews, but also on your own podcast, Anything Goes, because you have several episodes talking about burnout, talking about, you know, turning that feeling of what you just described, like turning your hobby, your passion into your career. So first of all, how are you now? Because I know that because of that, you you announced again on your podcast that you were taking a step back from YouTube for a little bit. So how has that been for you and how are you? I am very good now. Thank you. I I feel much better from taking a step back. And I don't think that the issue necessarily was YouTube itself. Right. Upon further reflection, I really do think that the issue was just too much YouTube. Mm. You know what I mean? And no break from YouTube. There's a strategy out there with YouTube that makes it tolerable and makes it emotionally possible, right? I haven't necessarily fleshed out what that would be yet, but I think it would actually entail going against all of the stereotypical YouTube rules. The stereotypical YouTube rules being, you know, like, for example, like you need to upload once a week minimum. Um, You can't take a break for longer than a week. If you do take a break at all, which is frowned upon, your videos need to stick to a consistent theme. And so you, you know, have to find a theme and a brand for yourself and stick to it or else people won't like you anymore. Um, you know, you need to have crazy clickable thumbnails that are extreme or else nobody's going to click on the video. You need to always be in a good mood on camera, all these rules, right? I think that sticking to those rules will just run you straight into the ground. Um, and I think that, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. I think you can find your own formula and strategy with anything in life that fits you best uh, in order for something to be sustainable because sustainable looks different for everyone when it comes to work and life in general. And so I'm feeling a lot better stepping back and having time to reflect on these things and, and think about these things and just have a break in general because I haven't really taken a break in, you know, four years, five years. So it's like, I needed to step back and and really just rethink what my strategy and formula needs to be and also how I can make it fun for myself again as well and not feel like this forced grind where I'm following the rules of an imaginary YouTube rule book. Like, why do that? That is so interesting to me because you're not alone. I mean, burnout has become such a topic of discussion in the creator economy of people feeling like this constant churn. And of course, as you mentioned, like YouTube is just, it's a platform, but you're right in saying that there are these, these rules of like how to really be successful. And so that is really causing a lot of people to feel this pressure, this burnout. And so I don't think you're the, you're not alone in saying, I want to step back from this a little bit. So I'm curious to hear from you. I mean, like, what do you think that shift is going to look like? I guess, like, where do you see this sort of shift going at scale? I, I really do think that 
we're about to approach a new wave of YouTube because, you know, for the past few years, it's been vlogging, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think that influencer based content has been vlogging on YouTube for the past three, four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it was more sit down content about topics about, you know, makeup, clothing, cameras, technology, whatever it was. It was more sit down style content. And I think what's next is yet to be developed. But I think that we're right there. And I think that, you know, the fully formed formula that that will be, it's still a mystery to me, but I think that it's going to include a few key elements. Number one, I think it needs to be something that is either really easy to produce quickly, Mm -hmm. like something that has a quick turnaround time. That's number one, because vlogging is not that way. Vlogging is very labor intensive because not only do you need to plan an interesting day for yourself, you know, to the best of your ability, (laughs) but also editing it takes a really long time. Yeah, especially the way you edit. (laughs) So there's a lot going on in your edits. Totally. I know. I had to step back from that because I was like, listen, this is not a sustainable editing style because it takes way too long to do this. So I, towards the end there, I started stepping back from that because I was like, this is not possible. Like it, it takes like 30 hours a week to edit this. Like I can't keep doing this. Anyway. Wild. We appreciate your efforts, but yeah, that, that is not sustainable. No, every once in a while maybe, but not every week. Also, I think a lot of people who want to create, you know, more labor intensive content are just going to start uploading less frequently, but maybe higher quality or longer videos, whatever that may entail. Also, I think, you know, there might be a world where uh, people start uploading more series style content where it's like, kind of like how TV shows post, you know, Mm. where it's like, like seasons at a time. And I also think that, you know, a lot of people feel violated by vlogging because you have to show so much of your life. And so I think that that might kind of fade away because I think it's really hard to show all the details of your life all the time. It feels shockingly vulnerable and out of control at times. And I think that that can work for a little bit, but naturally people want to see more of your personal life. And that can kind of feel like a conflict of interest. Cause on one hand you want to please your viewers and you want to show them everything. But on the other hand, you're like, but I got to keep some stuff to myself. So I think the vlogging style is not going to age well. And it isn't necessarily aging well because you can only show so much about your life before you run out of stuff to show. And then you need to start showing more and more personal stuff. But for most people, when they start showing more and more personal stuff, they start to feel violated Mm -hmm. on their own hand. They're doing it to themselves, you know, like, but then if you don't keep showing more stuff and more vulnerable stuff, then people get bored. So I think possibly less personal content might be on the come up as well. But, oh, last thing I'm going to say, podcasts. Mm. Oh yeah. End of story. (laughs) Podcasts in general. I think that's the wave. I mean, I love podcasting. I love being on other people's podcasts. Like now I like making my own, like podcasting is so incredible and it's my new favorite platform and it can live anywhere. And it's just amazing. We're going to take a break here, and when we're back, Emma dives into how she's building out her coffee empire and why podcasting is her new passion over YouTube. 
This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And like I said, I love your podcast, but I, which we will talk about, but I really want to dig into coffee. Let's talk about coffee, which is a topic that is close to my heart as well. I love coffee. I worked in coffee sh- coffee shops for years uh, before deciding to be a journalist, and that was a choice. Um, <laughs> and I could have just stuck with the whole barista thing, but here we are. So I want to ask you, I mean, like, when did you decide, because any, anybody who watches your videos or knows anything about you knows about your coffee obsession. So when did you decide to turn that obsession into your business, Chamberlain Coffee? I've been surrounded by coffee since a very young age. And I've grown up with, you know, parents constantly having different coffee machines and French presses and Bialettis and all these like little fun tools around the house. It's always been a part of my surroundings. But when I got to high school and I needed a caffeinated beverage to get me through my studies, I started to really finally utilize (laughs) my parents' coffee tools. And my God, (laughs) did I. And so I started drinking a lot of coffee and I started to, you know, very, very soon after becoming a coffee drinker, I started to become a little bit of a snob because I grew up very close to San Francisco and I would go with my dad on the weekends to San Francisco and we'd go to these very fancy coffee shops and that would be our weekend activity. And very quickly, I, I learned about coffee culture and mm-hmm. the, the nitty gritty details of what good coffee is and what bad coffee is, right? So I just became like a huge coffee lover. And then when I started YouTube, I naturally was like vlogging my everyday life. So people saw me drinking coffee 4 million times a day and then started associating me with coffee naturally. And then it was just like such a natural progression into creating a coffee company because I've always wanted to be a barista or open a coffee shop. That's always been like my dream job because again, I grew up in these environments And my path led me in a very unique direction where I had the resources to actually create the company itself from the ground up. And I think we're also in a very entrepreneurial time where a lot of people, especially people on the internet who grow a following, are finding that it's a lot easier to start a business that connects to their social media presence. And I think that, you know, that opportunity was so clear to me. And I was like, I, I might as well give it a shot. There are any number of coffee brands that you could have done endorsement deals with. I mean, as you said, you made it, you made it very clear in your vlogs that you love coffee, and I'm sure you probably have been approached by many coffee brands. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what made you want to start your own business. I think, number one, it was the opportunity to take something that I'm passionate about and that I love and that I know a decent amount about And that I'm a huge consumer of, right? Take everything I love about every coffee brand that I've tried and and turn it into mine. Because, you know, the coffee business is not a new business. I'm not creating a new, a new, I'm not growing a new GMO coffee bean. Okay. I'm not like genetically modifying (laughs) coffee beans to create my own new one. Okay. I'm, I'm, you could. What's stopping you? Get in the lab. I'm scared of that. But honestly, like, give me a year and we might have a special you know, weird, scary (laughs) coffee bean that I genetically modified. But anyway, you know, only you, only you would do that. (laughs) Literally only I would do that. And that's what's terrifying about me. 
but yeah, I was like, you know, I'm, I know I'm not creating a new product here, right? The coffee has existed for so, so long. And, you know, that doesn't even need to be improved upon. But what I think was the thing that I really wanted to do was to put all of the best parts of all of my favorite coffee companies and put them into one. For example, when it comes to, you know, coffee blends specifically, I tend to lean towards a very smooth, non-acidic type of coffee blend. That's what I like. And I kind of wanted to create a brand where every single blend that you try is pleasant and is like an easy to drink coffee. Nothing crazy, nothing like super niche. Like I think a lot of brands are meant to serve people who are really into coffee, but not everybody is really into coffee. So they might pull off a bag at the store and be like, I think this is going to be good and get home and be like, oh, this is like a very, you know, acidic, like specific type of coffee blend for somebody who's into coffee and knows everything about it. I wanted to be a reliable brand that people could go to and, and, you know, pick out anything and it would never be (laughs) something that's niche. Right. That was one thing. Another thing was, is that I, I wanted to be a coffee brand that was approachable and like warm and fuzzy because I feel like a lot of coffee brands feel very strict and like very unapproachable and very, Mm. you know, if you know, then you know, and if you don't, Expose then you don't. Expose them, Emma. Name names. Name names. Expose I know. These people. Like, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so this brand does that? No. And listen, <laughs> there's a moment for, for that type of experience. Of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I wanted to be the coffee brand that was like, hey, if you know about coffee, we got you. And if you don't know anything about coffee, we'll teach you. And you know, be a warm and welcoming and inclusive brand where everybody feels like no matter where they're at on their coffee journey, you know, we'll teach you something and we'll make you feel like you're part of the family instead of feeling like, oh God, this coffee's like somehow too good for me. And it's an inanimate object. Like that's how I used to feel about a lot of coffee. I was like, the branding, the, the, you know, the verbiage on everything makes me feel like I don't even deserve to be buying this because it's like too sophisticated for me. (laughs) No, you're getting shamed by beans. (laughs) Right. It's like, how is that even possible? But it's the same thing. I think that there's like, you know, that exists with all fine products like wine and cheese and all these things. It's like a lot of brands. You're like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Right. Like, I don't even know how to approach this, you know, sort of sophisticated fine food sort of, you know, industry. Like, I don't even know how to find my favorite in this, in this world because it's all so unapproachable. And so we wanted to be the complete opposite and also just have fun with like packaging and stuff and not just be like a boring bag, like, you know, have fun with making it playful and charming and something that you want to have on your countertop instead of in your cupboard. Yeah. And speaking of the packaging, just, you know, the brand overall, I know you launched Chamberlain Coffee in 2019, but you did a a pretty significant rebrand in 2020. So what was behind that rebrand? So our initial launch was very much a test of concept, right? Like it Mm -hmm. it was less of a hard launch and more of a soft launch in a way, if you will. Yeah, I was, I remember I actually heard about it through a a video that Brittany Broski did. I was sent... Emma Chamberlain's coffee, and I'm so freaking excited to try it because I watched all her videos on it, 
and how like hard it was to pick the packaging and like the right blend and all that. And she's such a coffee connoisseur that I'm excited to taste it from the lips of a master. It wasn't even on my radar because everyone was like, oh, wait, Emma Chamberlain's doing coffee. I mean, it makes sense. But then she, you know, did her chaotic video of like making it cold totally. brew. But yeah, so I was like, oh, wait. It, so yeah, it was, it did feel like a very soft launch because I figured this was, I mean, obviously you're a huge YouTuber. And I was like, how did I miss this? But yeah, it's through Brittany Broski that I was like, oh, Emma Chamberlain has her own coffee brand now. Awesome. Shout out to Brittany Broski because I love her Shout so much. And that is yeah, she's amazing. amazing. Yeah, no, we were kind of just wanting to test the waters. And uh, that was mainly because we were, again, like starting from scratch. So we kind of had to play it a little bit safer. Um, we weren't bringing in, you know, the big guns right away. We wanted to see, like, is this something that, is going to catch on. Is there, is there uh, a desire for coffee from me in any way? And so we did simple branding and very generic branding, but just mainly wanted to get a feel for what my audience wanted. Um, and mm. once it worked and we were like, oh, wow, this was better than we expected. Then we were able to bring in the big guns, right? And be like, all right, let's do this for real now. It would be very frightening to bring out the big guns for your initial launch, especially when starting from scratch, because that, you know, there's a lot of money and all of that that goes into starting a business. And if it is just not going to work, then, you know, maybe you got to rethink. So we had to test the concept first. Makes sense. And as a YouTuber who does vlogs specifically, you are the product, right? People are buying into you as a person. But when it comes to Chamberlain Coffee, like yes, you are behind the brand. You're the face of the brand. It bears your name. But you have to get people to buy this product. So how has that shift in brand building been for you, going from being you as a product versus now you have a product, like a physical product, a consumer good to sell? How has that shift in branding been for you? It has been natural in a sense that I feel like because I'm so heavily involved in internet culture, I have a good understanding of what people respond to best on the internet. Mm. I think I have a pretty good radar for that because I just am so intimately involved with the internet. So in that sense, it was easy. But it has been difficult because it's not the same thing as marketing yourself. You know, it is a fully different thing. And there's like, challenges that pop up that you don't anticipate. For example, like writing out captions on Instagram, something as simple as that, writing out captions on Instagram or trying to find someone else to do it. It's a really challenging thing to do because, you know, you're not an individual writing, you know, captions for the Instagram. You're, you're speaking as the brand, right? So mm. learning to speak as the brand instead of speaking as yourself has been something that I'm just now figuring out. I mean, it's taken so long to figure out what does the brand talk like? Because I know what I speak like, but I don't know what, what the brand sounds like. And getting that dialed right. in has been very challenging. Kind of on that note, I mean, what has it been like having this business with your background of this massively popular YouTube creator? Because in a way, yes, you have that built-in reach with your audience, but on the other end of it, I'm sure that there are people who there's a, kind of a natural <laughs> disdain a lot of people have toward quote unquote influencers. Totally. And it's almost like they want to see these people fail at what they do. Do you think that there's more of a target on your back with this business because you are this popular YouTube creator? Absolutely. And you know what? In the defense of humanity, 
I do feel like I understand. Mm-hmm. Like I do genuinely understand, you know, the skepticism and the kind of distrust because there have been many brands started by influencers that have been complete scams and complete money sucks. You know, I, I understand that it's a little bit suspicious. I also understand that a lot of people feel frustrated because influencers have a head start because they already have a following and because they have a fan base that automatically, you know, is ready to support who they follow if it's something that they're interested in purchasing. And so, you know, that's just made me want to work even harder and kind of prove that stereotype wrong. And I don't hate having that fire under my ass, you know, like it motivates me to make my company as high quality and as impressive as possible because I do feel like I need to prove 50 times more than somebody who didn't have a head start. I want to prove to people that this is not just, you know, something that I slapped my name onto and like stepped away from and now other people are handling it. I'm involved in this on a daily, daily basis, on even an hourly basis sometimes because I want this to succeed with my whole heart. And and this is heavily ingrained in me. Like this is a passion project for me more than it's even like a money opportunity because the truth of the matter is right now, this isn't necessarily a money opportunity. Like a lot of uh, starting a new business, especially from scratch, involves reinvesting into the business constantly. And so I'm not making wild paychecks from this. I I don't want to at all. I'm reinvesting everything back into the business because that is what I want to do. You know, I want to just build this to be an amazing, amazing coffee company. And I don't care about profiting from it right now. That's not my priority. Obviously I would be lying if I said that, like, I hope I never make a dime from this. Like it would be amazing (laughs) to have this be you know, something that could help support me. Absolutely. But I'm in no rush to get there. I don't care. Right now I'm about, you know, making this as amazing as it can be, proving the the doubters wrong, but also like giving the doubters a hug and saying, thank you for, you know, motivating me because that's a beautiful thing. You know, um, yeah. it's totally fine. Like I'm, I get it. And I, and I agree and I see where you're coming from, but let me also still prove you wrong. Right. <laughs> but I love you and thank you, but I will still be proving you wrong. As you're talking about, you know, this is your passion project, this is your baby. I mean, in a way that was you at the beginning of like your YouTube career. So are, are you worried that Chamberlain Coffee is going to burn you out as well? I think the difference between YouTube and the coffee company is that I have a lot more support true with coffee yeah you're not roasting things yourself you're not picking the beans yourself (laughs) no like i have a lot of uh help with that whereas i don't really at all with youtube and i never really have because that's kind of just has to be 100 me or else it's not going to work so yeah you know i've always been very adamant about keeping youtube a very small team basically just me maybe bring on an editor max that and nothing else at some point, if I were to go back to YouTube, that could absolutely change. But in the past, it was just me. And so that's why I got so burnt out because mm. I was doing, I was like the person on camera, the person behind the camera, the person who edited the videos, the person who came up with the concept, you know, I was doing all parts. Whereas with Chamberlain Coffee, 
I come up with an idea and then I have 10 people who help me make that idea come to life. And I have so much help. There's so much more of a foundation with Chamberlain Coffee because it wouldn't exist otherwise. I mean, I need a larger team for that project and I'm happy to bring people in when it comes to coffee because I'm not an expert on roasting a bean to perfection. I haven't been doing that for 30 years like my roaster has, you know what I mean? So I want to bring in the the professionals. I want to bring in the geniuses that are amazing at their specific craft so that they can help to make my idea come to life. Uh, whereas with YouTube, you know, I do feel like I know how to edit the best. I know how to film things, you know, the best, like, but I feel like I know how to do those things, which is why it's so hard for me to let other people in, which I'm not like the best, but like, I, like, I, I feel scared of letting other people in with YouTube, whereas I don't with coffee. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, your other passion, as you mentioned previously, is like podcasting with your podcast with Ramble, Anything Goes. And I mean, by the way, again, fantastic. I mean, you're, you're a really good storyteller, by the way. I know you, like, you. you record it from your bed. It's just you and your cats. And it's just, it's very engaging. I really enjoy the podcast. And so what did you want this podcast to be that maybe YouTube wasn't? Because in a way, you could have just, I mean, you were vlogging about your life and the podcast is really just you talking about things on your mind. So it has a similar connective tissue, but it's different. So like, what do you think podcasting is giving you that YouTube wasn't? I think the thing I love about podcasting is that the format itself is about conversation. It's about long form content. When people go onto Spotify or Apple podcasts, they're going on there to listen to an hour long podcast and they're setting themselves up for that. They know what they're going to get. Whereas when somebody goes on YouTube, they're not looking for a two hour long video. They're, they're probably looking for a quick little 10 minute something to watch before they have a meeting, you know, in 10 minutes, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're going to YouTube mm-hmm. for quicker content. And so with podcasting, I feel like me talking for long periods of time just fits there so naturally and it, it just performs so much better there. But I also love the fact that I don't have to be physically on camera for my podcast because for whatever reason, being on camera physically is very exhausting. Yeah. I think part of it is just because, you know, you're constantly looking at yourself. Like, what do I look like in this angle? You're constantly thinking about what you're looking like. It's another element of performing. Less like yeah. you're performing like what, what you're saying, but then you also have to worry about the facial expressions and this and that, whatever. It's like, it's a whole different layer of totally. performative content. So I get it. It's just nice to kind of be able to hide behind the microphone and just, and just talk and share my thoughts and ideas and stories and things like that in a way where I feel kind of safe and protected and, and nobody can see me physically. They're just hearing me. And it's kind of like on the phone. It's sort of like how when, say, you're confronting somebody about something, it's a lot scarier to do it face to face than it is to do it over the phone because there's something about disconnecting, seeing you know, your face that makes you feel more protected. And so I feel a lot more comfortable talking for a long time without a camera in my face. And I also think that, you know, on YouTube, I don't necessarily want to be talking about a lot of stuff. I like showing stuff. I feel like Mm. YouTube is for showing and podcast is for telling. And that just (laughs) is what feels like intuitive to me. Um, 
And I've loved it. And I think that I've grown a lot closer with my audience through the podcast because it's so incredibly intimate for me and for them. I mean, it truly is. It's the most intimate thing that I do, yet I feel the safest and most connected while doing it. It's such an amazing platform. Right. And to kind of sum things up, I mean, it's you've been called, you know, one of the most important YouTubers. Like there's many articles just talking about like how important and influential you've been. And so knowing that, I mean, when you look at the creator economy now, what's your hope for the creator economy? Like what from your vantage point of being like one of the most, you know, successful creators that have come out that's come out of YouTube in, you know, quite some time, what's your hope for not just YouTube as a platform, but just the creator economy as a whole? I really hope that it it becomes more accepted and normal to take time off to be a human being in the real world, because I think that a lot of creators especially start to feel like they don't exist in real life anymore and they only exist online. And I've, I've felt like that many times throughout my experience, constantly producing content for the internet. I started to feel like, well, what was my, what is my life outside of this? I don't know. And that's a really scary feeling. And I think that the only way to avoid that is to take breaks and not film every single thing that you do and not feel pressured to do that either. Because I think that the algorithm on YouTube and the even the creator studio on YouTube, all of it is constantly voicing to you that you need to be uploading more and uploading better and uploading this and that. And I understand why they do that. But at the same time, you know, it's very, it, 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 it's hard to see that stuff and to ignore it. it. It's a lot easier to just be like, oh, well then I need to make another vlog this week. And I need to, you know, maybe I do an extra vlog this week so that my analytics can go up and so that, you know, my subscribers can, can, I can meet my subscriber goal for the end of this month and whatever it may be. Um, and you just end up losing yourself in the whole thing. And I think what I hope for people is that they stop taking it so seriously. And I know that for a lot of creators, it's their livelihood. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to say, okay, I need to have some balance with this because, you know, when something's also your job, it's like, well, nobody's telling me to stop. I, and, and I don't want to tell myself to stop. So I'm just going to keep pushing. But I think that, you know, creators need to be a lot easier on themselves and realize that it's not as easy as being a creator is. It's also weirdly not easy, which is the most confusing thing to me ever. It's like, <sighs> It should be the easiest job on the planet, but there's something and yet, <laughs> and yet there's something about it that's emotionally very difficult. And so I think that creators need to realize that and not be angry at themselves when they feel like they need a break. Because I used to feel so angry at myself because I was like, Emma, you have the easiest job on the planet. Just do it. Keep doing it. But the truth is, is that it might be easy in some ways, but emotionally, it's very, very draining and very difficult. Mm -hmm. And the scale is a lot different than most other things that you do in life because it's on a worldwide scale because everybody has access to what you're making. So it feels a lot more consequential. And so I think that I want to see creators taking more breaks, end of story, and not being as hard on themselves when they do. Amen to that. Ah. Emma, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. Go drink some water. I know. <laughs> Go cancel out that cafe. Okay. 
that's going to do it for this episode of Creative Control. As always, make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you rate and comment as well, because we love hearing from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Franz Bowen, Avery Miles, and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Deputy editor David Liskey provided editorial oversight for this episode, as well as senior VP of entertainment, Scott Mevis. 